0: Well, I invite you to open your Bibles to 1 Peter 5. You can always follow along in your bulletin as well. I'm going to read 1 Peter 5, verses um, 5 to 7, but I'm not going to start at the beginning of verse 5. I'm going to start uh, the, the second part, 5b, you might say. So 1 Peter 5b through verse 7. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him, because he cares for you. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we bow before you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the spirit-inspired scriptures, I pray that your word would have hands this morning and lay hold of us strongly, that we would hate, pride, love, humility, and cherish your care of us. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, John Owen, an old, a Puritan from the 1600s, said, instruction to preachers he said first you need to preach to thyself and he he, the reason he said this was because you don't know if the the food you're going to give to people spiritual food you're going to give to them is poison unless you first taste it for yourself and I can attest to you today that this passage has laid hold of me this week in a powerful way I have tasted both the bitterness of my own pride and the sweetness of a father who cares for me. And so I am, my desire this morning is not just to give you a little lesson, some good thoughts to take for the day or the week. I want you to encounter God. I want the Spirit of God, my my desires the Spirit of God would would also, with this text, lay hold of you and impact you as it has impacted me. Some of the sweetest promises are given to those who are humble. I think of Isaiah 57. It says, thus says the the, the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity. I dwell in a high and holy place and also with the humble and lowly. But the most severe threats in the Bible are often addressed to the proud. Sweet promises given to the humble, severe threats given to the proud. This might lead us to believe that the quintessential quality of a Christian is humility. And that the essence of the anti-God, anti-Christ spirit in the world is pride. That's correct. The quintessential quality of being a Christian is humility. God takes proud boasters and takes out that heart of stone and makes them humble, worshipers of God and humble before others. Charles Spurgeon said, Pride was man's first sin, and it will be his last. In the first sin that man ever committed, there was certainly a large mixture of pride. For man imagined, Adam, right, and Eve, imagined he knew better than his maker. There was certainly pride in the sin of Satan and the pride in the sin of, Ad, and pride in the sin of Adam. This is the torch which kindled hell and set the world on fire. And the world is blazing today. So it should come as no surprise when Peter hits us with this statement. God opposes the proud. God opposes the proud. Could there be anything worse in all the world? I mean, imagine the worst news you could ever receive. I mean, the absolute worst. Does it even hold a candle to these words? God opposes the proud. Nothing worse than being opposed by an omnipotent God. This does not mean that God passively dislikes pride. No, this word opposes means that God literally ranges in battle against the proud. The word oppose here is, the, is a very similar word, word to, what, to, um, to the word just a few verses later that describes what we are to do in our battle against the devil. In chapter 5, verse 9, just two verses later, it says, Resist him. Resist the devil. Similar word to God being opposed to the proud. Except our resistance of the devil is one of defensive withstanding his onslaught. Whereas God's opposition to the proud is him mounting an offensive against the proud. So to say pride is a danger is the understatement of the the ages. It is a deadly danger. It is a grave danger. It is like saying ISIS is a danger to Christians still living in in Syria. That's a no-brainer, right? It's like saying a wolf is a danger to a lone sheep, or a pride of lions is a danger to a single wildebeest. Poor wildebeest. Uh, They're they're always, I mean, they're just... There's always this lonely wildebeest being hunted down by pride of lions. It's like saying cancer is a danger to a brand new newborn baby. Like a bloodhound, you and I can sniff out pride in the loud boaster from a mile away. We probably are not in as much danger of falling into that form of pride But what Peter identifies as pride in our text, almost on the outside, looks like the opposite of pride. And it is a great danger. What is this pride? What is it? It's this, anxiety. Being weighed down with cares, concerns, worries. It keeps us from humbling ourselves under God and keeps us from walking in humility toward others. So here's, just taking a step back, here's the big idea, I think, from this text. This is what this passage, you look at these three verses, here's what it's saying to us. And then I want to unpack it and show you from the text. It's telling us to do this. Give all of your cares to God by trusting in his care for you so that you can get about the business of caring for others let me say it again give all of your cares to god every one of them all of your anxieties all of your fears all of your worries give them to god trusting in his care of you so that you are free to care for others God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace and favor to the humble. This is the central idea of our text. And because God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble, you and I are required to respond in two ways. We are required from our passage. It tells us to respond in two ways, not one way, but two ways. It tells us to respond in horizontal humility Horizontal meaning humility relationally with other believers. Horizontal interrelational humility. Humility toward one another is the words Peter uses. But it also says we must humble ourselves vertically too. We must humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. Because God is opposed to the proud but gives grace to the humble. We must humble ourselves before others and under God. So let's look first at horizontal humility and then at vertical humility and then see how they fit together. Okay? So first, horizontal humility. Humility toward one another. Check this out. Verse 5 second part of verse 5 says this, Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. And then the optimal word is for or because God is opposed to the proud or God opposes the proud. He mounts an offensive against them, but he gives grace to the humble. Or we could turn it around and say it this way, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble, therefore... Clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. Notice first, Peter uses the language of putting on clothes. <clears throat> Why does he do this? Why doesn't he just say, just be humble? I think he does this for at least a couple of reasons. First, to, to communicate intentionality. Okay? When you are going to do work outside in the garden, or if you're a car guy and you're going to be changing the oil, you put on certain clothes, don't you? I hope you do. Not your Sunday best. But when you come to church, or if you're going on a date, or if you are going to a wedding, you put on different clothing. Peter's saying, clothe yourself, intentionally put on humility like a garment, like a shirt, like a suit, like a dress. But also Peter uses the language of clothing to communicate the atmosphere of humility for Christians toward one another. It's something you wear. It's not something you put in the backpack and pull out every once in a while. It's something you wear like clothes, humility. So clothe yourselves with humility. But here's the question, what is humility? What is it to have humility or to be clothed with humility toward one another or to one another? <clears throat> is it more or less letting people walk all over you? Is it groveling on the ground crying out how pathetic and horrible and such, what a worthless worm you are? No, it's not that. C.S. Lewis said, um, humility is not Um, thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. Does that make sense? Um, I kind of, I don't know if I totally agree with that. I think it is, I I think the New Testament does tell us to think more soberly about ourselves too. But the main point is to think less of yourself, about yourself. Jesus calls humility, listen to this, Jesus calls humility true strength and true greatness. If you think it is weak and pathetic to be humble, then we need to hear the words of Jesus. Mark 10 shows us this. Jesus, he's with his disciples, James and John. Just a chapter before, all the disciples are having this discussion amongst themselves about who's the greatest. Mark chapter 10, James and John come to Jesus and they say, Master, do whatever we ask you. Jesus says, say what you got to say. They said, grant that we would be able to sit at your right hand and your left in your kingdom. And Jesus says, that's not for me to give. You don't know what you're asking. And then he brought all the disciples together and he says, you know, the, the, the rulers of the Gentiles, they lord it over them. And then he says, but it will not be so with you. Those who would be great. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even, get this, Jesus grounds it in something. He doesn't just say do this. Then he points to himself and what he is about to do and who he is. He says, for even the Son of Man came not to be served but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. The most important text on humility, and I think all the Bible's Philippians 2, 4 to 11, Paul says this, let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Though he was in the form of God, though he was God, when he was sent on his mission, he didn't try to grasp for what the glory he once had, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, Jesus humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death even death on a cross. Verse 9, therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven, on earth, under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Humility before exaltation. We see that in our text too. But what is horizontal humility? Well, it shows us. Jesus is our example. He's our redeemer, but he's also our example. Here's what horizontal humility is. It is considering others more important. You consciously, this is the You consciously put yourself in a lowly servant role for their good. Considering others more important, you consciously put yourself in a Lowly servant role for the good of others, for their good. So humble yourselves horizontally or clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. Why? Because God's opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Let's look next at vertical humility. Humility under God. Verse 5 and into verse 6 says, God is opposed to the proud. Opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. See the connection there? God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. I mean, Peter's arguing with us. Therefore, do this. Therefore, humble yourselves. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. Now, Peter doesn't leave us guessing how we do this. He tells us very specifically. In fact, verse 7 is a subordinate clause to the first part of verse 6, showing us how we humble ourselves under God. It's this way. By casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. We humble ourselves under God By hurling our burdens as fast as we can, all of our cares, our worries, our anxieties, our fears, by throwing them on God. Which anxieties? All of them. Don't lug any of them around. Throw all of them on him. I didn't look it up, but there's a psalm. that I love this psalm. It says, um, praying to the one who daily bears our burdens. The one who daily bears our anxieties. The one who daily bears our cares and our worries and our fears. Remember who Peter's writing to here. He's writing to believers living under an oppressive Roman government that is trying to snuff out the Christian faith. Okay, Peter's probably in Rome He's, this letter is sent out to those who are dispersed throughout the Roman Empire, probably in modern-day Turkey. Hot persecution, social ostracism, financial pressures, difficulties abounding for these believers. He says, humble your... God's opposed to the proud. He gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourself under God's mighty hand by casting all of your cares on him. All the things you're worried about, just give them to God. I imagine Peter recalling the words of Jesus here because the word anxieties uh, harkens back to things that Jesus said. In Matthew chapter 6, when Jesus says, don't be anxious about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, what you're going to wear. He goes on to say, look at the birds They eat, they're taken care of. Look at the flowers, how they're clothed in such splendor and beauty. Aren't you worth more than many birds? At the end of chapter 6, of course, he says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and leave it up to God to worry about all those other things. At one point he says, can you even add a single hour to your life by worrying? I mean, I think subconsciously when we are fretting over things, we actually think we're helping the situation. I, I don't know why. I mean, I, I sometimes spend so much time worrying about things, I can't do anything to change. And subconsciously, I think it might actually help if I do this a little longer. And Jesus says, it won't add a span, an hour to the span of your life. And more than likely, it'll, it'll take many hours from your life. Days, months, years, perhaps. The parable of the, of the sowers. Jesus talks about seeds sown among thorns. He says this, As for what was sown among thorns, this is the man who hears the word, listen to this, but the cares, same word as anxieties, Same Greek word as anxieties. The cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it proves unfruitful. The cares of the world. Or how about when Jesus predicts the destruction of Jerusalem and points to the end of the age in Luke 21, he says this, but watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and the cares of this life and that day come upon you like a trap. So what are these anxieties? Pressures. Ever feel pressure in life? (laughs) Does sometimes life just seem like that's all it is? Last summer, um, we, I was at the pool with my kids, and, and Isabella went down the slide. She had her goggles on, one of the slides, and it's in the deep end. And she dropped her goggles down there. They fell off her, her head and fell down. She said, Dad, will you go get them? I said, okay, I'll, I'll go get them. I'll try anyways. And so I dove down, and I don't know if it's 12 or 15 feet deep at the bottom. But you get down there 10, 12, 15 feet, and what happens? Painful. The pressure, right? The pressure. Life sometimes feels like that. Pressure, difficulties, struggles, anxieties, cares. Are there situations in your life that feel like you are about 15 feet underwater with all the pressure? That's what Peter's talking about. Anxieties are the cares and worries that keep you up at night. They're the things that you think about if you wake up in the middle of the night. They're the things that are on your mind in the morning if you tend to be given to anxieties. They're the things that that flood your mind when you aren't busy with something else, perhaps driving down the road by yourself. Now, here's the thing. These cares aren't in and of themselves necessarily sinful. Peter's not saying Get rid of the sinful things you worry about. It's just the cares of life. The cares of life that weigh us down. And when we are consumed over these things and obsess over these things, they can become idolatrous. Financial pressures, relational pressures, work pressures, health pressures, all kinds of things so here's, here's the question what's the connection here's the question what's the connection between anxieties cares worries and pride aren't you wondering that because I know when, when I feel under pressure and I'm worried about things I don't feel like I'm trying to exalt myself over others but Peter connects it with pride How? Remember Peter saying, humble yourselves under God by casting your cares on him. So it it all has to do with God caring for us or us caring for ourselves. Anxiety at its root is unbelief. Unbelief that God will take care of you. Unfortunately, this is the form of pride many Christians find acceptable, but I hope we won't after today. In fact, I hope we will even see it as a more dangerous form of pride than the loudmouth boaster up in front of people or on television talking about how great they are. Pride won't cast fears upon God. Humble, or excuse me, um, Unbelieving pride won't cast our cares and anxieties upon God, but humble faith will. So, I am not here to talk, I'm not really here to address anxiety disorders and medicine. Is there a place for that? I I think there probably is. I think there is. I just would say this, though. If you disagree with Peter's diagnosis and his prescription, you just need to know that you're disagreeing with God and not just a man, Peter, however great he is, and m- probably much easier to disagree with me. But we are disagreeing with God. This is his diagnosis, this is his prescription. So here's what pride says. Pride says, I don't know if God can take care of me. I don't know if he can. My cares are huge. So I must care for myself. This, question, this questions the ability of God, doesn't it? This questions the strength of God, the power of God. We just sang a little bit ago about. This mighty God, right? He is mighty and powerful. But when it comes to hard things in life, we're not sure if he can handle those things. He can just speak the universe into existence with a word, but I'm not sure he can handle my anxieties, my worries, and my cares. What does Peter say? He doesn't just say, humble yourself under God. He says, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. Is God able to care for you? To take care of the things that concern you? Of course he is. In just a few verses, chapter 5, verse 11, it says that God has all dominion forever and ever. The word dominion is just the noun form that is used in verse 6 for mighty hand. He has all dominion. He is able to care for you. He is able to care for you. However, pride doesn't just say, "God." I'm not sure if God can care for me. Pride sometimes talks like this. I don't know if God will care for me. So I must care for myself. I don't know if he will. I don't know if he cares. I don't know if, he, I don't know if it's in his heart to do it. This, of course, questions the faithfulness of God. But the promise here is that he does, in fact, care. I don't know if you guys see that. It it makes it, this is an emphatic statement. Cast your cares on him. Why? Because he cares for you doesn't say he may care for you. It doesn't say at some point when you mature enough, he may care for you. It says cast all of your anxieties on him because he does care for you. It's a promise. It's a statement of fact. The word cares is an active verb in the present form. In other words, he cares today. He'll care tomorrow. He will care for you a year from now. He'll care for you five years from now, 10 years from now, 60 years from now if you live that long and to the very time you die and then of course he'll care for you forever after that. In other words, he cares and always cares for his children. Listen to what J.I. Packer says in his book, Knowing God. God knows me as a friend. Isn't that sweet? One who loves me, and there is not a moment when his eye is off me, or his attention is distracted from me, and no moment, therefore, when his care falters. Pride can also say this, though we might we may not question the ability of god the willingness of god or the faithfulness of god but what about this pride says this i don't know if god will care for me as i ought to be cared for that's probably the more that's probably the most pernicious way of expressing this pride i don't know if because it's sneaky I don't know if God will care for me the way that I should be cared for. Of course, this calls into question the wisdom of God. Does he know what he's doing? Can he be trusted? This is pride that assumes we know it's best for us. How often in our anxiety do we take the bull by the horns? and try to figure things out and get it done. Because we are not sure that God will do it the way we think it ought to be done. Rather than trusting his promises and his goodness and his care and his way, we take matters into our own hands. we don't know what's best for us. Not ultimately. We don't know what's best for us. Which is why we are told the result of casting our anxieties on God is this. So that at the proper time, at the proper time, he may exalt you. I think other translations might say something like in due time. At the proper time, When is the proper time? Well, our wise, loving, able, faithful father knows. He knows when the proper time is. And so all of a sudden, we we see horizontal Humility horizontally, clothing ourselves with humility toward one another. It's putting ourselves in a lowly position to serve the benefit or good, the good of others. We see vertical humility as humbling ourselves under the mighty hand of God, which means casting our concerns and cares upon him. So we see how this comes together, right? We humble ourselves by giving our cares to God, trusting God's promise to care for us, so that we are free to humbly care for others. It seems to me like the crux of the matter is this Does God really actively, presently care for His people? And not just hypothetically, but do you? Believe that, because if you walk out of here with just something else sticking your brain for a couple days, without this overwhelming sense, oh my goodness, God cares for me. Oh my God, He actually cares for me. Then you will walk out. If you don't, if you that doesn't land on you today, or later today or tonight or tomorrow, sometime you will be hoarding all of your cares to yourself, not giving them to God, so consumed and and obsessed with them that you will give no thought to how you are to humble yourself and serve the good of others. So, does God care for us? For those who have repented of their sins, and trusted in Jesus. Trusted in Jesus alone. Not Jesus and, not Jesus and you, or Jesus and prayers, or Jesus and church attendance, or Jesus and Bible reading, but just Jesus alone, His finished work. If you've repented and trusted in Christ in that way, God wants to give you massive assurance of His love and grace and care for you now and forever. And it's all three persons of the Trinity working in harmony to give us this solid, immovable foundation that's fixed in eternity past, goes on into eternity in the future. It's accomplished through Jesus and experienced through the Holy Spirit. Let me just give you some things this is i want you to leave today knowing the care of god eternity past and eternity past if you presently are believing in christ he is your savior he is your lord he is your redeemer then you need to know that before the foundation of the world God the Father cared for you. It says in Ephesians 1 that even as he chose us, the Father chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless before him. And then it says this, in love he predestined us to adoption as sons, sons and daughters. Before the foundation of the world, Chosen, predestined, just means God's eternal plan. And this was done in love to make us sons, adopted sons. God has been caring. God has, his heart has been full of care and concern for you. If you are in Christ now, billions and billions and billions of years ago. Before the foundation of the world, eternity passed. And then, in time, at just the right time, God the Father sent the Son into the world. It says in Galatians 4, when the fullness of time had come, God sent his Son born under the law to redeem those who were under the law. So that we might receive adoption as sons. So God planned it eternity and eternity past. In time, Christ accomplished it, right? In the fullness of time, he came to redeem and to purchase adoption as sons. I love how Paul says in Galatians 2, making it personal. It's not just this big group of people that I think I'm in there somewhere. Redeemed, Paul puts it this way. He loved me and gave himself for me. Christ, Jesus. Later in Galatians 4, it says, The Spirit is given into our hearts, crying out, Abba! Father, has that ever happened to you? You just, I mean, just you just, something wells up inside of you and you just are overwhelmed with God's love and grace towards you in Christ. What is that? That's the Holy Spirit welling up within you. Maybe you've even said, Abba, Father. You've repeated those words. You just said, Father, God, you are great. That's the Holy Spirit. That's the Holy Spirit reminding you of God's loving care for you he will not take his eyes off you. When Silas was two, I mean, all my kids, but he's the youngest. So when he was two and he had, he had the propensity to do this more often than my other kids, <clears throat> we were out in the driveway playing or whatever. he just sometimes make a beeline for the street, all right, like lots of two-year-olds, maybe, anyways. And so I would not take my eyes off that boy because he would hurt himself. God will not take his eyes off you. Not only has the Father chosen in eternity past, Christ accomplished in time, the Holy Spirit presently revealing to us the love and care of God. But then we also have massive promises like this. Romans eight twenty eight. He works all things together for your good if you are in Christ. Not just generally for the good of everything and everybody. No, no, no. This is a promise for Believers. He works all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. All things. This concern, this care, this anxiety, it fits into all things. And he's working it for your good. We have a promise like this My God, Paul says, will supply all of your needs. Which ones? All of them. doesn't say wants. says needs. He'll supply all of your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ. And then, of course, we just sung a little bit ago. Our God is able to keep us from stumbling and make us stand, present us blameless before God's throne with great joy. Let me ask you a question. What are you anxious about? What are you, what is hanging over your, what is weighing you down? What what cares are just loading you down? Is this God your God? If he is, then now give them to him. See, what I'm trying to do is load your mind and heart up with these big thoughts of God so that you see, it's unreasonable for me not to cast them on God. Unload your cares now and give them to the one who cares for you. And by giving your cares to God, trusting his massive, mighty shoulders can handle them and that he massively cares for you, you will be free to care for others. So don't wait. <clears throat> don't don't think, well I'll go home and think about some of these worries I have and think about if it's worth giving them up. That's pride. It's arrogance. It's arrogance. I wonder if God is able or if he's willing or if he will do it the way I think he should, care for me the way I think he should. It's pride. God opposes the proud. So don't wait. Don't leave here loaded down with your cares. You can leave them with God and have a load lifted off your shoulders and live moment by moment, casting your fears on him who daily bears our burdens, who daily bears all of our cares. Let's take Charles Spurgeon's advice. He says this, God has never refused to bear your burdens. He has never fainted under their weight. Come then, soul, have done with fretful care and leave all thy concern in the hand of a gracious God. You believe he cares for you? Do you believe he cares for you? Then give him all your cares, all your gigantic ones, and don't even hold on to the small ones. Don't say, I can take care of this one. You take this big one. Nah. Let's pray. Let's just just open our hearts and and even even open up our hands to the Lord this morning. Let's let's ask him for a fresh filling of his spirit, the spirit of adoption. In Romans 8, it says that, that the spirit bears witness, the Holy Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. So Father, I pray now that your Holy Spirit would be poured out now to every open heart to fill afresh Again, that we would be in awe of your love and care for us. That you, Holy Spirit, would bear witness with our spirits a deep knowing and joy at your love for us. That we belong to God. That we are children of God now and forever. Nothing can change us. No one can snatch us out of Jesus' hand. No one can snatch us out of the Father's hand, we are his now and forever. And that your eye is upon us and you will never take your eye off of us. And you care for the things we care about perfectly. You care about them in a holy way. You care about them in a wise way. You care about them in your almightiness. You care about them in your faithfulness. And so we just submit to you. We humble ourselves under you. And now I just urge you right now, just cast them, cast your anxieties upon God. Give them to him. Even in your heart and your mind, just confess them to the Lord. Say, Lord, I'm giving you this. Hand it off to him.